This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The first reading comes from Deuteronomy chapter 26. When you've come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess, and you possess it and settle in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. You shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. When the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. You shall set it down before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. Then you, together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. The second reading comes from Romans chapter 10. The word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth, and so is saved. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. 
for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Please stand for the reading of the gospel in respect for the Lord who meets us in this word. The Holy Gospel is from the Gospel of Luke, the fourth chapter. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days. And when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it's been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. The Gospel of the Lord. I've always enjoyed and been fed more by the Old Testament and the Gospels than by the letters of Paul and the other letters in the New Testament. I think that's because, well, I think it's the difference between reading someone who's thinking about the Gospel, someone who's thinking about what's going on and someone who's telling stories about it. In the Old Testament, we have these wonderful stories of the, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, of Jacob wrestling on the banks of the river. And in the Gospel, we get stories like this one, of Jesus facing off with the devil. And when told in a way, in, when told as a story, it, we can get our hands on it. We can enter into it so that it is as if we ourselves are right there with them. Whenever I 
hear this story, I imagine the, the opening credits with Jesus there in the desert, sunburned, you know, looking up and seeing that fireball of a sun in the sky that's always accompanied by that high-pitched whine in, in the movies. And then maybe the sound, the, the cry of an eagle to emphasize the loneliness. And have you ever noticed they always use the exact same recording of an eagle? I think there must be some eagle who's just raking in the royalties every time that gets used. But there he is. And then, and then he looks out and, and there's Satan. Their eyes lock and all of a sudden the game's on. Jesus, the devil, mano a mano, like, like an old western movie. On the one hand, this story is eminently human. It begins with Jesus' hunger. For 40 days, he has eaten nothing, and he is hungry. And we know what it is to be hungry. My prayer is that none of you here know what it is to be physically hungry and not have enough. But certainly we know what it is to lack and to hunger for what we lack. We hunger for meaning. We hunger for relationship. We hunger for a purpose in our lives. We, we hunger for so many things. Hunger is the great verb that propels us onward. It, it, it's behind our entire lives, propelling us forward. We strive because we hunger. And now Jesus hungers as he comes into the presence of the devil. The devil who is such a rich and complex character in Scripture. On the one hand, he is sometimes depicted as the one who wants to harm us, the one who wants to destroy us. He is the ravening wolf circling the herd, waiting to cut off the weak in order to devour them. But other places in Scripture, it's almost as if he's on God's staff. The devil is the engineer in charge of testing who goes around stress testing the creation to see if it will hold. This is the one who goes to God and says, yeah, Job's okay, but I'll bet he'll crumble if you really put pressure on him. Let's find out. Now Jesus confronts the devil and the devil, this one whom we've met before, whom we've met before just after creation in the Garden of Eden, where he tempts Adam and Eve, and we're told that this devil, this serpent, was the most crafty of all the animals, the most subtle, 
of all the animals. Two words that imply a hidden agenda, that imply something sneaky going on. Which is interesting, I think, because almost everywhere else that that word that is interpreted that way occurs, wherever else that occurs in Scripture, it almost always gets translated as prudent. Which I think would apply in today's story. The devil comes to Jesus with three very prudent ideas. Jesus, look, you're hungry. Let's not overthink this. Let's eat. Here's a rock, your son of God. Boom, boom. Hunger met. After all, what good is it being son of God if you don't get to do do something with it? But wait a minute. Why stop there? There are so many who are hungry in this world. And there are so many stones. Let's turn it all to bread. And we'll feed all of the hungry. Because isn't that how the people will know when the Messiah comes? Isn't he the one who will come and feed God's people? It sounds like a very good suggestion. A very helpful and prudent suggestion. Something that would get Jesus well on his way to getting his job done. Then the devil takes Jesus up onto a high point and says, look out there. You see all those people, all those nations. And weren't you the one who originally said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to all the nations? Aren't you here to redeem all of the nations. Well, it just so happens that they belong to me. You just say the word, and I'll tie them all up in a neat package and give them to you. Job done. Then he takes them up to the pinnacle of the temple, to the high point in the foundation overlooking the Kidron Valley, and says, you want people to know you're the Messiah? Jump off. You'll never hit bottom. The angels will bear you up and there you'll be floating in midair, glowing ten feet above the ground and everyone will go, whoa. And as you settle slowly back to earth, you can announce your agenda and everyone will be ready to follow. Now, even you have to admit that if Jesus had done these things, maybe he wouldn't have had such a tough time convincing the Sadducees and the Pharisees that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. Maybe he wouldn't have been convicted as a blasphemer. Maybe this whole venture could have gone a whole lot better. 
So what's the problem with these, let's call them suggestions? The problem is that all three of them allow Jesus to do what Jesus needs to do without going through the cross. Well, why is the cross so important? Because the gospel in its entirety, as Jesus made clear to his disciples when his time was up and he could only say one more thing to them, the whole of the gospel comes down to love. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. But the thing about love is it doesn't allow for borders. It doesn't allow for walls. It doesn't allow for self-protection. There's only one time in my whole career as a pastor that I refused to marry a couple. And that was because he was insisting on uh, a premarital agreement that would protect him and his assets. That's not love. Love is when we open up and we let someone else inside in such a way that we become intertwined. In such a way that where one ends and the other begins is no longer clear. In such a way that if one is taken away from the other, we are wounded. And there's no way to avoid it. When I counsel with people after the death of a loved one, I will sometimes point out to them, of course you're grieving, but this is the evidence of love. This pain that you feel is the evidence of a love that was there, of the wound that's been inflicted because of it. Where there is no pain, there can be no bonding. The God that we meet in Scripture is a God who bonds with God's creation. It's a God who speaks creation into being in an act of love simply because God wants to be intertwined with us. And the God that we meet throughout Scripture is the one who walks with Adam and Eve in the garden is the one who accompanies them out of the garden after their fall, is the one who comes to Abram in the intimacy of the night and speaks promise to him, is the one who walks with the people of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years. That sounds familiar. All the times that the number 40 appears in Scripture are times of transition, 
are an indicator that we have been elevated in our reading, in our hearing, and now we are encountering the story on a different plane. And on this plane, we see more clearly. And what we see is Christ. What we see is God who refuses to remain aloof, who refuses these suggestions because they allow God to remain comfortably up in heaven, simply taking care of things with a brush of his hands. And instead, we find a Lord who comes to us and is so interwoven with us that the cross is unavoidable because it is there in the most human of actions, dying, that we find that we are most inextricably linked with God. The reason that we proclaim Jesus as our Lord is not just because of the resurrection, but because the resurrection came after the crucifixion. Because we saw in the crucifixion one who is bound to us. And because he is bound to us, he draws us with him through death into life everlasting. But that's getting ahead of the story. That comes after Good Friday. And we're not going to skip that step because Christ won't skip that step. Amen.